Um, when we looked at the clear example of the gospel message that Peter gave to Cornelius and saw the elements there of, uh, of sharing the gospel and what the gospel is. Um, now we're going to go back to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at the beginning and the end of it. I'm going to read the whole chapter just to set the context, but then we're going to kind of do a, a topical study, a little bit different than normal of an expositional passage of God's Word, and more of, of, a, of a tracing out a theme here in the Scriptures. So, Acts chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which spake to Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up uh, upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open, and a certain vessel descending to him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to all to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, When God is cleansed, that call you not common. You see, there were uh, laws that were given in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament for Jews as to what they could and couldn't eat. This was done three times, thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself, he questioned what this vision which he had seen should mean. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which is surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise therefore and get you down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent to him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause why you are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that fears God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and hear words of you. Then he called them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together, and he said to them, You know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come to one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unholy or unclean. Therefore came I to you without gainsaying or an objection, 
As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent you have sent me for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, it's about 3 p.m., I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, and your alms, your gifts, are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call here Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he comes, shall speak to you. Immediately, therefore, I sent to you, and you have well done that you are come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded you of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, is not favorites. But in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. He is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, visibly alive. Not to all the people, but the witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he <clears throat> which ordained of, which was ordained of God <clears throat> to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes in him shall receive remission or forgiveness, removal of sins. Well, Peter yet spoke these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews who were with them, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles, non-Jews, also, was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed or asked him to tarry certain days. Um, there is a theme in Acts chapter 10 here. And verse 2. It says that Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God with all his what? House. Lord's household. Why would Peter, and this is where we'll be a little bit different here this morning in our format, why is it important that Luke adds that phrase with all his house, with all his household, to his statement about Cornelius? Why would that be important, significant? That detail is added. I'll have you look down in verse 24 as well. When Peter arrives in the Caesarea, in 10 24, it says, And Cornelius waited for them. And had called together his what? His kinsmen and near friends. His family and friends. His family and friends. I'll have you notice also, if you go over to chapter 11, I didn't read chapter 11, which is a rehash here of um, the report back. But in chapter 11 and verse 14, um, <clears throat> in the rehash here, 
The Word of God says, um, as the story is being told again, who shall tell you words whereby you and all your house shall be saved. Household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. As Peter tells a story back to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. Why does Peter, uh, and in this story in Cornelius, why does Luke include the details about not just Cornelius, but all of his household? His household. The word household um, is the idea of his network of relationships. Um, it could refer to the actual home, the place. It also refers to family and those associated with the family here. And Luke adds that to the statement about Cornelius. Why? Why would that be so key? Why is that so important? Why is that an interesting detail here? It appears that Cornelius didn't think it was very, very important to come to know God. And if he thought it was important, his household and the family had the same idea. Others as well, right? Others as well. Now, why did he write to the Emperor of Rome and say, you need to come hear this message? <laughs> he wasn't intimately acquainted. <laughs> He's working with his closest relationships here. He's working with his closest relationships. Exactly, Kathy, here. So, this idea here is that Cornelius is using his home and his networks of closest relationships as a mission center. That's really important. And this is how God used relationships to advance that mission. Because Cornelius, if you know the story of the book of Acts, Cornelius becomes the first who? He and his family become the first non-Jews, Gentiles, since Acts 2, who are saved and really the Gentile mission, those at the ends of the earth, the rest of the Great Commission, beyond J Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, starts to happen after this here, particularly with Paul in Acts 13. So Cornelius uses his home as a mission center. This is even before he's a believer, right? He had some respect for God. There were some things that he practiced, but he had not been born again by Jesus Christ, which is why God had to send the messenger, Peter. That's why it says, then Peter opened his mouth and he shares the gospel. And God uses those relationships to advance his mission. And I think this example here stands out, among others here, as an example of wisdom in cultivating opportunities with unbelievers. Now, I want to share something with you uh, here that uh, might seem a little different because we, we tend to just think about individuals, but I want you to think about the gospel in families. Listen, God is, is not just satisfied to see one person in a family come to the Lord, right? He wants to see that whole household reached, that whole family reached. And in fact, one of the ways he does that regularly is, is reaching the heads of the households, right? The whole family. And so if you would turn over with me to Acts chapter 16, Acts 16, and see this concept again. Acts 16. And verse 13. Acts 16:13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was uh, accustomed to be made, and we sat down and spoke to the women which resorted or gathered there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended the things which are spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, so she believed, 
the gospel message. She was baptized. And her, what? Household. She besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. She opened her home. Now notice, God wasn't just interested in seeing Lydia come to the Lord. He was interested in seeing who else? Her whole family. Her whole household. There. Her whole household. That's not the only place. If you look later on in that same chapter, you're familiar with that story here. Of Paul has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, connecting with people. He had an opportunity through a very odd, strange situation to speak of who Jesus was as he's confronted with a situation. And he's put in prison for it. In Acts 16, verse 14 and 15, God does, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 25 through 34, God does a work there even in prison. And at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons, prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled, escaped. Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we all are all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Barnabas responded, what? It's a famous verse, Acts 16.31, right? Everybody probably can quote it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what? And what? In your house, Right? By the way, he's not saying that if you get saved, your whole house just automatically gets saved. Um, the individuals had to believe. But can you see God's heart for families? Reaching whole families. Whole households. You and your house. And that's what God did. Look at verse 32. And they spoke to him the word of the Lord and what? To all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of that night and he washed their lash wounds. And was baptized, he what? And all his, all his what? His household. Immediately. And when he had brought them into this house, he set me before them and rejoiced, believing in God, with what? All his house. Why is Luke deliberately inserting these details here of his house? He just said, this jailer got saved. But he says his house, his family, right? His family. He's not the only one. Go to Luke chapter 18. Or excuse me, Acts 18. Acts 18 and verse 4. Acts 18 and verse 4. Paul reasoned in the Sabbath uh, synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ, Messiah. When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from hereafter. I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined heart. Right, his house was right next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with what? All his house and many of the Corinthians hearings believed and were baptized. Then spoke the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not your peace. 
for I am with you, and no man shall sell on you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city, and continue there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. There's a prominent theme of households, isn't there, in the advance of the gospel. I'll just show you a couple others in Acts chapter 20. Here is um, a beach that is established in Ephesus for the sake of the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, that the establishing there of the disciples occur in the homes and the, and the families. In Acts 20 and verse 20, Paul says, And you know how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. It's that Greek word oikos again, house or household. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, 14 times, we're not going to look at the last one, um, or another one in Acts 28, the last chapter of Acts, but 14 times, families and homes are mentioned as becoming bases for the progress of the church. Not disconnected islands, disconnected from the church, but bases for the progress of the gospel. Because the most natural base for the progress of the gospel is our family and homes. Why would that be? Because we have a whole web of relationships represented in our families, don't we? Imagine the impact our church can have in our community through our families if every family was intentional in this. So I just wanted to think about this concept here. What spheres, interlocking, interconnecting circles here, what spheres in society does a family normally touch regularly? What do we touch? What circles, spheres in society do we normally touch? Families touch? What's represented? What are the webs of relationships? Neighbors. Neighbors? Schools. Schools. Sports. Sports. Work. Work. What else? I know some people order everything from Amazon, but some of us still go to stores, right? All right. So, really, you can kind of break it down. Some people break it down into different categories. Some break it down into three. Here's five categories here. Um, uh, the people in your extended family, right? The people in your neighborhood, your geographical network, where you live, right? Your vocational network, your workplace, right? Uh, your recreational network. Uh, Mike plays club hockey, right? Um, uh, some of you have other hobbies. Uh, Mervyn does fishing, and he uses that as a, as a, a way to connect with others. Um, some people do model air, fly model airplanes. Um, Dennis used to do sailing, but probably not as much anymore, right? So there, there's recreational networks. T, uh, Doris, the Rotary, right? Uh, different organizations, uh, teams, clubs, etc. And then there's the people you see shopping, right? So there's, there you can say there's, there's, a, there's, there's family networks, um, there's geographical networks, there's vocational networks, there's recreational networks, there's commercial networks. And I wonder, out of all those, um, and especially those of you who are in business for yourself, you kind of have a chance, a little more of a chance to have more personal conversations with the customers that you serve. I wonder if there's five people, maybe, in one of those or each of those networks um, that you could begin praying for. Um, because those spheres in society that we touch regularly, piano lessons, music lessons, etc., with our 
those and activities that come to mind might lead to natural interactions with non-believers in those spheres. You see, one of the things that um, sadly the church had done has done that, and I say the church in general has done that happened was when somebody would come to the Lord, we would kind of take that person almost outside of their family instead of going with them to their family and assisting them in the evangelization of their of their family members, their homes. Um, and we would pull them from their networks, right? You need to hang around us and not those people anymore. And in a sense, if those people were leading them to sin, that's true. But in another sense, those are their natural networks of leading people to the Lord. And who's going to be more evangelistic than a new believer, right? Sadly, they put us to shame, right? We've been saved for... For many years, there's still a zeal there. Uh, uh, they, 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 they realize with with a freshness of what Jesus has done, which is why you and I continue need to be renewed in that, right? Um, and 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 they and they want the same opportunities for those um, they, they used to know that they, those they used to <clears throat> hang out with, etc. Here, and, and we need to capitalize on that. But begin to pray for people. Make a list of names. You might be surprised what happens when you get, begin to pay, pray for these people who are in your path. In your path. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I have two lists of names in my prayers. Those for whose conversions I pray, and those for whose conversions I give thanks. And that little trickle of transference from list A to list B is a great comfort and joy. One of the ways that God enables families and homes, households, to reach people is through hospitality, particularly in our generation, in our era, in epoch of time. You may notice that society might be more generally um, less interested to attend a church service with. But they may be more interested and more open to sharing your life with you. To coming over for dinner, uh, to go golfing with, to you name it, right? Fill in the blank, whatever you do, right? To come with you. And some of us, when we hear that, we get really scared about our, about our homes, right? Like, oh, what are they going to think when they see my house? Listen, don't let pride keep you from opening your home, right? What's more important, the cat hair on the couch? Or are you building a relationship with somebody that's authentic and genuine? You know what will kill that person? Not the cat here on the couch or the one that ends up in the macaroni and cheese. What will end up killing that person is us putting up walls that keep that person out of our lives. Sometimes, in fact, it's easier to share a message than it is to share our lives. Right? We can't let that be an excuse for loving people. Oh, I don't want enough food. All right, add water to the pot to stretch the soup. <laughs> right? Um, run out of food, make pancakes. Right? Get your kids involved in, in, in helping make that meal. The point is this. There's a greater risk of not surrendering our pride and opening our hands and hearts and homes than there is of doing it. Listen, um, uh, share how God gives you daily grace in a way of escape from temptations. Um, 
we live in a society that is full of connections of people who are alone. Never before have we been so easily and instantly connected, but yet with people who are not in authentic community and alone. Find a way for your family to serve those people. Identify a way that you can bless those people in your networks. As a family together, sit down with your family, heads of households, and say, hey, we need to start being more intentional in our reaching out and serving people. Let's see what God does with that. Uh, perhaps it's babysitting for them, picking up groceries for them, cutting the grass, and so on. Look for ways to serve. Let me give you an illustration of how um, uh, the Grahams, of Billy Graham, uh, served a man who um, uh, was uh, re- rejected by society for some of the sins he had done. How many of you know uh, former televangelist Jim Baker? Um, and he went to prison for, for fraud, and he speaks to some events that immediately occurred immediately after his release from, from prison. And um, he shares a story. He says, when I was transferred to my last prison, Franklin Graham said he wanted to help me out when I got a, got out with a job, a house to live in, and a car. It was my fifth Christmas in prison. By the way, this isn't any, um, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down on Jim Baker. It's just a story here of how God uses people. I thought it over and said, Franklin, you can't do this. It'll hurt you. The Grahams don't need my baggage. He looked at me and he said, Jim, you were my friend in the past. You're my friend now. If anyone doesn't like it, I'm looking, I'm looking for a fight. So when I got out of prison, the Grahams sponsored me and paid for a house for me to live in and gave me a car to drive. The first Sunday out, Ruth Graham called the halfway house I was living at and at the Salvation Army and asked permission for me to go to the Montreal Presbyterian Church with her that Sunday morning. When I got there, the pastor welcomed me and sat me with the Graham family. There were like two whole rows of them. I think every grand aunt and uncle and cousin was there. The organ began playing and the place was full except for a seat next to me. And the doors opened and in walked Ruth Graham. She walked down that aisle and sat next to inmate 07407-058. I had only been out of prison 48 hours when she told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. Afterwards, she pulled me, she had me up to their cabin for dinner. When she asked me for some addresses, I pulled this envelope out of my pocket to look for them. In prison, you're not allowed to have a wallet, so you just carry an envelope. She asked, don't you have a wallet? And I said, well, yeah, this is my wallet. After five years of brainwashing in prison, you think an envelope is a wallet. She walked to the other room and came back and said, here's one of Billy's wallets. He doesn't need it. You can have it. Um, the point is this. She looked for an opportunity to serve that person. Now, that person's obviously already a professing believer, right, Jim Baker? Um, but friends, uh, uh, there, there, there are huge doors and an impact that is made when you serve Find resources that you can share with them. Um, perhaps there's a particular issue that they have questions about. We talked last week about having answers, right, to some of the objections. Uh, a book or article um, that, that help perhaps might answer some of their questions. Sharing the gospel with them. Looking for various places where you can talk about your faith. Listen to their problems with real concern. Do you understand this, that believers and unbelievers have the same problems? We just have the truth and the way of dealing with it, Right? and the relationship with the one who is our refuge. Seizing those opportunities to address those problems with, with, with real gospel hope. And listen, sharing some of your own struggles and how the Lord's helped you in those. Christ, the, the, the world is not looking 
for perfect Christians. They're looking for Christians who are repentant, humble Christians. Sharing your own struggles and how you deal with them in light of your faith. Giving them an opportunity to ask them what they believe. Hearing where they're coming from. And so, take some people in those categories there and, 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 and develop, uh, put them on a card, uh, however you do it here. And begin to pray for those. And then think of some activities as families to reach um, those people on your list. And what are the next steps here in the next three months? It kind of leads us to this here. As we wrap up this series here on um, the Great Commission and our role in it. Because our roles are all going to be different. And the people we're going to be touching in their lives are all going to be different, aren't they? There might be some crossover. But think about um, this as, as, a, as, a, as a family opportunity. Not just you as an individual witnessing that person, though God can use that as well. But think about you as a household together. A household together. Saying, God, I want to join you on your mission. And you're already at work. And in your sovereignty, you have connected me with these people here. Somehow, there's a purpose and a reason for it. And I'm going to pursue these relationships, and I'm going to pull that thread on that sweater and see what begins to unravel. Um, what sorts of things might you need to adjust in your lifestyle as a family to serve and reach these networks? God really looks with favor on those who reach out and rewards those, particularly who show hospitality. He puts a high price tag on that. In fact, he says, when you've done these things, it's like you've done them to me. What sorts of things, ordinary or fresh, might you begin doing in order to turn your family and home into a people and place to be used as good stewards for, for the Lord's mission? Sometimes you just look at our homes and say, oh, that's a nice place to crash after a hectic day. And there's truth to that. They should be a place of rest and peace, right? But that's not the end of it, right? That's not what they're limited to. And friends, because the Lord has welcomed us as strangers into his forever family and his home, because of that truth through the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins as the innocent, perfect one, and lives again to give us new life and change, he welcomed us as strangers into his forever family and his home. We can be families and homes who use the resources that aren't ours, but have come from him and relationships to bring others into his forever family and eternal home. That's the appropriate response to Jesus. Um, we, our family recently found out that there's an email chain network here of our general neighborhood, a couple loops of roads here. Neighborhoods aren't like neighborhoods when I, where I grew up with a distinct you know, uh, uh, suburbs and blocks and stuff. You kind of figure out what your neighborhood is in Maine, right? A little bit differently than um, in the suburbs and, and in the cities. And there's an email chain that goes on. keeps people updated on events. Um, and, uh, and we found out um, here uh, about um, uh, uh, Mervyn's um, uh, sister's grandson who was killed in, tragically in a, in a car accident. And this neighborhood was trying, or this neighbor who was alerting us, was trying to uh, organize um, 
dinners, etc. here for, for the, uh, the mother of, of, of this young man and ways that we can help him be a support. God has opened up a window now for us to be a blessing. And I found out that there were people who didn't know the Lord and were very different politically than I am and very different in a lot of ways than I am who seemed to have a better grasp of loving their neighbors than I as a born-again Christian who says, Jesus has loved me and I have to love others. It was a rebuke to me. So we're going to push into those things. We've done things off and on for people in our neighborhood. We had one neighbor who the Eckharts know who was a, uh, an elderly lady who really didn't have, uh, really needed a lot of help. Eventually she moved to the nursing home and my kids would go and visit her like for hours. Get her mail. One day they opened her mailbox and there was a mouse in the mailbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had a little surprise there. They would get her mail and they would visit with her and um, she had this little dog and the little dog would do accidents on the floor and and uh, and uh, they, 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 she was lonely and she needed that. I would mow her uh, more grass because it would just grow like feet by the end of summer if you didn't and it uh, didn't seem like there was a lot of people who would, who would help her with that. Um, and it gave us an opportunity uh, to share the gospel with Arlene. She died a few months ago in Belfast in the nursing home there. And I never found out if she, she said she knew the Lord and had um, connections with him, but it seemed a little muddy. We gave her the gospel as clearly as we could. Adopt a mission as a family. Get your family one-minded into this mission and say, hey, we're going to join this or we're going to we're going to be part of this organization, or we're going to we're going to go serve this particular. Last year uh, at Thanksgiving, a couple of our younger families went and served the Thompson Community Center there on Thanksgiving, rather than um, their typical get all the family together and, and enjoy the the Thanksgiving dinner together. They said we're going to we're going to set that aside this year, and we're going to go and we're going to serve the Thanksgiving dinner there at the Thompson Community Center for those who don't have Thanksgiving dinner at their homes. And they did, and I said, well, how did it go? That was the best Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> it was the best Thanksgiving ever. When they decided to set themselves aside and serve others. That's not to say you can't have Thanksgiving together with your family. That's my favorite, one of my favorite things. Memories, memories of all time is Thanksgivings together. But what is it for you? Right? What is it for you? Use whatever it is. Like the boy with the two, uh, the two fish and the five loaves. Use whatever it is. Or David with that little sling, five stones, right? Use what it is. Or Moses with that stick in his hand. Mm-hmm. Moses says, I can't do this. And God says, kind of, you're right, you can't. But what's that thing you got in your hand? I don't know if it was a walking stick like uh, Hillary found there <laughs> on the mountain here. But God used it. God used it in his life. And God used it for his great task of getting a nation to where they needed to be so that out of that, the great redeemer could come, etc., right? You don't know what God will use. So begin to pray and think that way and be intentional. Let's pray. Lord, I think of the Lord's Supper where even there on the night before your death, you had a traitor among you, 
You had those who would deny and abandon you. And even there, you share the meal together and you wash their feet as servants of people who would turn you over to the authorities in betrayal. Lord, you're the great example here and you're the great sacrifice. You are the great welcomer. Thank you for what you achieved through the blood of the cross. And help us now to be intentional about ways we can live that out for gospel conversations, building the truth here, uh, to see souls one in the kingdom, and to see your, your family, your great family that you desire built up to your return. Lord,